Hey, thanks to Ed for preaching last week. I, I, uh, uh, oftentimes before one of us preaches, we'll run by our ideas and what God's put in our heart with one another. And he had shared his message with me. And I told him, I was like, man, this is a powerful, powerful word from the Lord. And so thank you to Ed for sharing last week. I just want to say welcome. I know there's some new folks in here today. Uh, Christ Church, Charlestown, we're a church that's about five years old. We have a really simple mission as a church. We want to bring this neighborhood together around the gospel. Uh, and so whether it's doing Sunday or some of you saw last night, the Historical Society had an event here and it was really neat to interact with people who live in this neighborhood. And they're like, I didn't know this church existed. And we were like, we exist here and we're about to soon exist over there. And right now it feels like we're in every place at once. And so uh, that's our mission. We want to bring this neighborhood together. Every person who lives here, we want them to have one chance to say yes or no to Jesus and the gospel. And so I, I love seeing what God is doing here. I love seeing new people every week. I love seeing, I'm loving seeing uh, your faces as some of you who've worn masks are beginning to take them off a little bit more. And if you want to wear masks, that's great. If you don't, that's great. Like we just want to, this to be about Jesus and loving one another, and loving this neighborhood, and to move forward together as a congregation. So I am excited you're here. I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, I love visiting the South. I love eating barbecue. I didn't get to eat any barbecue last week. Uh, I love uh, drinking a lot of coffee from a lot of different places. Uh, I love the reliability of our Starbucks and the friends who work there, but man, there's just something to, we know a few coffee spots where we were, and just, I literally on Monday just did coffee, 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 and by Monday night, I was like, I can't go to sleep. I'm not really sure why. I was like, oh, it's because I've had coffee all day long. And uh, that was great. But the, the biggest, the reason I went south last week was to share what God's doing in our church with a lot of partners who have prayed for us and sent teams and have sent resources up here over the last five years. And I want to pass along to our church from them that they are excited about what God is doing in our neighborhood and what God's doing in our church. And so uh, each of the four partners that I got to meet with, churches or groups or individuals, extended their love and just excitement and hope to even see so many of us this year. So all the pleasantries aside. If you got a Bible, turn to Proverbs 3. We're not going to get to it for a moment. I went and I checked, like, I, I keep a, a chart, I tell you this, of every passage that we preach in this church, uh, in the history of our church. I've got a spreadsheet of all the passages because I don't want to preach the same verses over and over, honestly, or the same books. And, um, and so I went and I was like, how have I not preached this particular passage of Scripture? It really stunned me that we've never talked about Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We're going to do that today. But I want to tell you in the lead up to it, that we're starting a new series called Canoeing the Mountains. Why? Because we are in uncharted territories as we're in uncharted waters as a culture, and we're in uncharted waters as a church, and even people are in uncharted waters. For those of you who are my age and older, it feels like we've seen nothing but seismic shift after seismic shift in our lifetimes, like I read something this week that said for anybody under 30, they basically have lived through a terrorist attack, two economic collapses, a pandemic, like, and, and there's a few of us who actually are old enough to remember when the world was fairly normal before all of this began to happen, but not everybody gets to live with that reality. You know, in truth, in human history, in recorded human history, every 500 years, the world radically and seismically shifts, 
happens about every 500 years. Uh, you know, the, the last sort of 500-year shift would have been the invention of the Gutenberg, uh, the, like, of Gutenberg's printing machine, the printing press in 1456. That ushered in a new era of human history because for the first time in human history, people could read what churches and individuals and people were saying and not just have to have it passed along. That completely changed the world work. It had been about a 500 years since there had been that seismic of a shift. Then, after, amazingly, after the, the printing press, the world began to change a little faster. In the 1700s and early 1800s, a couple things happened, the Industrial Revolution and the Enlightenment. And the way that people began to think about the world changed. And for the first time in human history, people began to think about the world as a whole through man as being at the center of the universe and not as God and the church being at the center of the universe. This was a seismic shift that began to happen about 250 years after the printing press. And then fast forward about 100 to 150 years, and the Great War happens. And there'd never been a war like this. And then just 30 years later, the Second World War happens. And there's never been a conflict like this where... All of the nations were picking sides except for Switzerland and jumping into the fray like they were all fighting. This had never happened. That was a seismic shift. And now we can see history's picking up steam because it had been in 500-year increments, and now it was in a 250-year increment, and now we're at 150-year increment. And then fast forward 50 more years, and the collapse of Eastern Europe and the end of the Cold War happens about the same time as the creation of the World Wide Web, which was just as seismic as the printing press, and now you're at a 50 year increment where the world is drastically changing. And when the World Wide Web was, listen, my first email address, Nat and I were laughing about this the other day. My first email address was John, the number four, Jesus at yahoo.com. She was like, wow, you were early to the game if you somehow got that one. Like, and you look back at these old email addresses and you go, man, the World Wide Web, we were so dumb. And uh, the technology was so new and so vast. And that was like a 50-year thing. And then the world changed. And then look what happens next. Ten years later, the world changes on 9-11. And I'm standing in an airport this week, and I go, I remember when my aunt flew one time to Texas, and we literally walked with her to the gate. Never again, people. The world, in every way, in every, how we think, how we travel, how we do everything changed after just ten years of a post-Cold War creation of the internet type of world. And then now like the rate of information, scientists say, doubles every one to two years. Everything that has ever been known in human history right now doubles every two years. Think about that. And so it's probably not even actually that the world is changing that fast. It's just how much we know about the world is changing so fast. We're watching the news like we've never watched a war happen on television and, on, and streaming on the internet before. But this is the world we find ourselves in, and it is a new world, and we are in uncharted waters where everything changes about every two years. It was two years ago, this Sunday, that I remember looking at Scott and uh, Sue and Steve Cobb, and I said, you think we're going to keep meeting as a church on Sundays? And we were like, yeah, it's not going to be a problem. We might take a week or two off. <laughs> how the world has changed in 104 Sundays. 
It's amazing. We're in uncharted waters. Even more, we're leaders in uncharted waters. And this is what this series is for. You know, some series we gain, we, we target toward just everybody. Some series we target toward the church. We just finished a church series. This is a series for leaders, for people who lead. And you might say, well, I'm not a leader. Listen, everybody is either a leader or can be a leader. Everybody's leading something. It may be that you're the head of your house. You might be the husband. You might be the single mom. You might be the dad. You may be leading at your home. You may be the oldest sibling. How many of you are the oldest siblings? Yeah. It's a blessing and a curse. It's being the favorite. Being the favorite is a blessing and a curse, right? If you're the oldest sibling, there's a leadership that comes with being the oldest sibling sometimes that you can begin to feel. It, it, it may be that you're the, the boss at work, or it may be that you're a team leader at your place of work. Some of you are teachers, or you work in education with, with students. Some of you are coaches. Uh, and even at church, there are people who are leading. Like, even we have to get on to Noah and say, look, these, there's other little kids here who are watching you, watching to see what you're going to do. We're all either leaders or can be leaders. God entrusts that to so many of us. And so here's the guiding principle of this series. I think we have a slide for this. There's a few things I would encourage you maybe to write down because they're really sticky and good. The first thing is that what got us here is not going to take us there. For the leaders in the room, the thing that got us here is not going to take us there. And where is there? We're going to figure that out as we go. And so why do we name this series Canoeing the Mountains? Because on May 14th, 1804, Captain Meriwether Lewis and Lieutenant William Clark left from St. Charles, Missouri to go up the Missouri River. The goal was to take the newly purchased Louisiana Purchase and find a passageway from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean. Because if America could do what the French couldn't do and the British couldn't do and the Spanish couldn't do and find a waterway that would take them from Missouri to the Pacific Ocean, then America would become the most uh, significant economic power in, the, in human history. And so they began to set out. These guys were masters of handling river navigation, geniuses. And so 15 months later, in August 1805, they found, the, they found the little spring that is the beginning of the Missouri River. It took them 15 months, and it was quite a journey. Um, and so they get there by drinking the cold water, and they're thinking, cool, we're going to pick up our canoes, because that's what we're good at, and we're going to just walk right over here. We think there's some mountains here, the Rocky Mountains. They knew the Appalachian Mountains, and they knew we can cross the Appalachian Mountains, like the Rocky Mountains are going to be like that. Nobody had ever seen any mountains other than the Appalachian Mountains if you were from America in 1805. They crossed the crest of a hill and they go, that is not the Appalachian Mountains. And these canoes are not going to help us get across those. And so they literally had to disregard their canoes and become experts in traveling and navigating in a way that they never had been trained for. And that is where we find ourselves as Christians, as a church, and as leaders. We cannot canoe the mountains. What got us here is not going to take us there. And that may be true of us as a faith family, and it may be true in your workplace, and it may be true in your home. And it is insanely, um, it, our, the gravity of how we live pulls us toward thinking, I'm just going to keep doing what I've done before. And it takes revolutionary faith and belief to begin to move forward and say, nope, 
Canoes are not going to help me anymore. I've got to navigate the mountains now. In a changing world, what got us here won't take us there. So what we need is ancient truths and unchanging God. When what got us here is not going to take us there, we need ancient truths and we need an unchanging God. That will get us there. Ancient truths will get us there. And an unchanging God will get us there. What we've done before will not get us there. Now, there are three problems as I see it. I'll share three real issues with you. The first one, first reason that we don't tend to canoe the mountains, we can't canoe the mountains and we don't know what to do. People don't tend to change until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. People don't tend to change until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. I had a seminary professor, Ed, Ed Stetzer, who's a speaker and an author, and, and I remember him telling us at seminary, this is true of churches, that churches almost never change until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. And so I remember he was telling us he was the interim pastor in this church, and he said the church had dwindled down to very few, and he walked in, and he said, oh, do you want the church to grow again? And they said, yeah. And he said, but then they said, but we don't want to change the music. We don't want to change the carpet. We don't want to change what's hanging on the walls. We don't want to change. And he said, oh, well, it's not painful enough for you yet. Clearly, you're going to have to lose some more people and your church become less relevant before you're willing to change. And so finally, he asked them, because it was a primarily an older congregation, he said, how far would you be willing to go if it meant that your grandchildren would come to church and be excited? And now they began to dream again. And in that moment, the pain of staying the same, thinking about their grandkids not coming, became worse than the pain of being willing to change. And the church grew pretty quickly. They didn't become like a modern rock church, but they changed and they began to see their grandkids come to church. It's also true of us, whether it's our diet or our health or our finances and spending or a sour or stale relationship. I remember my dad in the 90s, my dad smoked four packs a day. I've never smoked a cigarette. I think that's hard to do. I think that seems like a challenge, right? Like he would do it every day. And I remember one day he told me, he said, well, I can't remember. I think it was President Clinton at the time. He said, President Clinton's just added a cigarette tax. So I guess I'm going to have to quit smoking because I'm not giving the government a single extra dime of my money. And I was like, all right, dad, cool. Like he had never, he smoked four packs a day, didn't have lung cancer, nothing. Like there was, there was no pain of staying, the, the pain of staying the same was fine for him because he didn't have lung cancer or anything. But when the government stepped in and said, we're going to charge you an extra quarter per pack, that was the line. Like game over, the pain of staying the same was greater than the pain of change. And in one weekend, my dad quit smoking four packs a day. And I was like, Dad, like, people have to check themselves in over that. He goes, I'm not going to lie. He said, it was pretty difficult the first three days. He's like, I was sweating nicotine. Like, it was rough. I was, like, going to come out of my skin. He said, but I was never giving the government any more of my money for smoking my cigarettes. Do you understand? My dad went from four packs a day to he never picked one up again. People don't change until the pain of staying the same is worse than the pain of change. That's just how we work. 
The organizations and the people we lead, that's how they think and how they operate. The second problem that we deal with is that we are not a reliable enough guide on our own. Alone, you and I are not reliable enough guides because we haven't been to the future. We haven't been to the future. I wouldn't have known 54 weeks ago how the world was going to change. Let me read to you a couple of verses, if I might. Let me start with Proverbs 14, verse 12. Uh The same person who wrote the verses we're going to read in a moment says this, There is a way that seems right unto a man, but its end is the way to death. Sometimes the things we think are going to take us to freedom actually are going to take us to death. We don't know everything. We haven't been to the future. If you've got a paper Bible, flip over to chapter 16. Let me read to you verses 2 and 3. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. We need God's perspective and God's wisdom and God's help for our lives and for the organizations and the people that we are leading. I alone am not wise enough, smart enough, resourced enough to get where I've got to get and to lead the people I've got to lead there. We are not a reliable enough guide on our own. The third problem is the world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. I hear people say all the time, you know, time is circular. History repeats itself. It doesn't. History does not speak in repeat. It speaks in rhyme. So there are patterns, but time is a line. It never goes back and does the same thing again. And so the truth is the world in front of us, whatever it's going to be, is not going to be anything like the world behind us because it never repeats. It just doesn't. It may be similar. It may echo sort of like the previous one, but it's just different. The world in front of us is nothing like the world behind us. So yesterday's solutions are not going to solve today's problems. The things that work for our church in 2017 and 18 and 19 are not going to work in 2022. There's still truths. There's still echoes. There's still some bedrock principles that we're going to operate by. But what got us here is not going to take us there. And the people and organizations you lead, the same is true. And so leaders, Christ followers, what do we need to do? We need to adapt or die. We adapt or we stagnate. You adapt at your place of leadership or your leadership becomes stale. You change or you become a just, you become white noise, just that thing that you hear so much. The other day, our cats drink from a little cat water circulator thing. I can't explain it. It's magical. You know, just their water doesn't get gross. And we had a friend over and they were like, what is that running water at your house? What is that? Like, do you have a leak in your house? And we were like, oh, that's the cat's water bowl. I don't even hear it anymore. The leader who refuses to change becomes like that. They just become noise that you don't even hear anymore. We adapt or we grow stale or we lose our influence. So with that said, let's read Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. This is someone talking to his son or her son and giving wisdom for life. Uh, These verses are being said in the context of a parent leading a younger person. And I don't want to oversimplify them. Like, if you do this for God, then God has to do this for you. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate life and faith as well. You know what I mean? Like, 
I don't want to oversimplify the Bible, but I also don't want to overcomplicate it. And so let's look at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. If you write in your Bible and you've never underlined this before, I would highly uh, encourage you to do so because this is one of those that you might want to memorize. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. So let's go through the three verbs there. First one is trust. Trust in God. Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly. Trust in God with everything you are and have, leader. What does that mean? Don't trust yourself. You're not a, we're not reliable enough guides. I constantly think I'm not going to do that again. And I constantly find myself doing that dumb thing again that I did not mean to do, right? Like, and so this parent says to his kid or her kid, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord. Don't lean into God plus yourself or God plus your past success or God plus what you've known before. I have friends in this neighborhood who I love dearly and they're like, I love Jesus, but I also go to the tarot card reader. And I'm like, that person has nothing to offer you. That person has not been to the future, but Jesus has. And so it's not that just that that person is, has no influence whatsoever. It's that Jesus has all the influence and he has exactly what you need. And so I want to say you got ripped off. If whatever you paid for that, you got ripped off. You'll need to go to mediums. Jesus has the answers. He's not going to tell you the future, but he's going to go with you into the future that he has already been to and that he is Lord over. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. You don't need Jesus plus the habit that you keep going back to. You need Jesus. He will help you. That habit that's a security blanket that promises you so much and then under delivers completely every time is a liar. But Jesus is a truth teller. Trust in him with all your heart. Money is not going to help you. I talked with a friend this week who said, I'm so worried about this Ukraine stuff because I'm worried about what it's going to do to my retirement because in 2009, I lost five years off my retirement and I'm still working when I thought I should have been retired by now. And I'm like, I hear you. And that is unpredictable. And what got you here is not going to take you there. But I'm going to tell you, Jesus has got this locked down. Trust in Jesus, not your 401k or your Roth IRA, or whatever your retirement plan may be. The second thing that his parent says is lean not on your own understanding. Now, what that doesn't mean is Christians should be idiots. It doesn't mean we need to be dummies, uninformed schmucks, <laughs> right? It says lean not on your own understanding, which implies you need, we need to get understanding, we need to have some understanding. We need to have some knowledge. We need to have some wisdom. We need to have some insights. We need to have understanding. Learning is good. Understanding is good. Miss Patricia walked in this morning and handed me a book about the history of First Church Charlestown. And I told her, I appreciate you lending me that, but I've already read that book. And she said, you've not read that book. And I said, I have read that book. And then we argued for about 30 seconds and then I told her who wrote it. She goes, dang, he might not be lying. And then uh, I told her some contents. And we had a great talk. And she said, how have you read this book? I said, 
The Lord's not going to put something in the hands of our church that we're not going to try to be good stewards of. I want to learn everything I can about these people, about that building, and about the history of what God's been doing through First Church over the last 390 years. I need to learn, but I'm not to lean on my own understanding. I'm to lean on the Lord, Jesus. We gain knowledge. Leaders gain knowledge. Leaders gain wisdom. Leaders gain insight. Leaders gain understanding. But we lean on the Lord. Remember, you and your past are not reliable enough guides. Here's a mantra, if you will, that I would encourage you to lean into. I am not enough. I am not enough. I'm not enough. I'm not wise enough, smart enough, understanding enough, resourced enough, charismatic enough. I am not enough. So I need to not lean on my own understanding. The third verb, in all your ways, acknowledge him. Acknowledge the Lord in everything. Invite him into every day, into every decision, into every opportunity, into every relationship, into every pathway, into every open door, into every part of your leadership. Acknowledge him in all your ways. I think you should read your Bible every day. I'm I'm deeply convicted that our spiritual growth will be catalyzed when we do that. And the question is, should I read it at night or in the morning? Because some of you get up really early in the morning to go to work. And the proper answer is, I don't care. I think you should just read the Bible. But if I, in a perfect world, I would say in the morning, because in the morning, you can acknowledge the Lord in all your ways. God, I'm about to go to work and I'm going to deal with this person. I'm going to lead this person and then I'm going to interact with this person. I'm going to have to pay this bill and I'm going to have this opportunity and this conversation. I'm acknowledging you in all my ways. I need you to come into this situation. This parent says, acknowledge him in every ways. I mean, here's the good news. Then, like a parent carrying a child, it says, he will make your path straight. There used to be this, when we lived in Greenville, there was an arts uh, festival every year. And there would be, on a, good, on a good weather Saturday, there would be tens of thousands of people at Artisphere. Juliana, you remember Artisphere? Like, it just, I mean, just a sea of humanity. And right in the middle, because this is what people do, they put food trucks and artists and vendors, and then they put the kids' stuff right in the middle of everything. Right in the middle are a couple of kids' rides that my kids think are like Disney World in our town, right? So we've got to go to this thing, and it's me and Noah and Natalie carrying Owen through this mass of humanity, People everywhere, everybody's moving. It looks like someone's kicked the ant pile and everybody's going in every direction. And so I'm holding Noah's hand saying, do not let go of my hand. We are taking you where you need to go. Trust us. And here's how we walk. You cannot walk in a straight line because you will just be shoulder banging everybody, which I would love to do sometimes in a crowd. But apparently that's not the nice thing to do, right? So here's what we're doing. We're going to go here. Oh, it's like Frogger crossing the street. You guys remember that Atari game back in the day? Like you're kind of snaking around. And eventually, after about 10 minutes, we get to the little ride that Noah wants to go to. Was it a straight line? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. To Noah, did we get to the destination? 100%. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Has God written the script the last two years the way that we would have done it? Absolutely not. Is he getting us where he's taking us? He is. He is. He is a trustworthy guide. He is a trustworthy guide. He will, it says, not might make your path straight, not may make it straight, not likely make your path straight. He will make it straight. He will clear it. He will make it safe. It will maybe not be a perfect line from here to there, but it will get us from here to there if we trust and lean not and acknowledge in all our ways. He will do it, and then he will do that for your paths. And this is the thing. I don't know if it's a struggle for you, so a lot of times in church and the gospel that I think this is true for everybody else, but it can't be true for me. Oh, God loves everybody else perfectly, but he would be really frustrated with me. Oh, God's going to make everybody else paths straight. I don't know if he's going to do that for me. That's a place I need to grow in my faith in him, my relationship with God. Listen, he will make your path straight. Not the world's, not the good Christians, not the people who've been Christians a long time. He will make your path straight because he loves you and died to have relationship with you. So I am not enough in a changing world. And especially I am not enough with my sin and my destiny. But here's the good news, the gospel. God is enough. God is enough. God's enough. God is enough. I am not enough, but God is enough. John Piper has said, so at every turn, at every new choice you have to make, every new conversation you are in, you are sending up a message. God, I acknowledge you here. When you go into work tomorrow and you've got a tough conversation, God, I acknowledge you here. I know that you are here. I'm drawing you in here, Lord. You are decisive here. I need you here. What got us here is not going to take us there, but God is here with us, and he will walk us to there if we acknowledge him in all our ways and lean in to him. I need you, God, to get from here to there. I am not enough, but you are enough. And that is true for eternity and forgiveness, that those who have turned from their sin and trusted Christ and have relationship with God through Christ, that he will get us to there, to relationship with him and to eternity with him. But it's also true of just the way forward in life. God is enough. The Trinitarian God is enough. God the Father loves us and has a plan. God the Son, Jesus Christ, forgave us, saves us, goes before us, and is for us. His Holy Spirit is in us and empowers us and guides us to where God is taking us. Taking us. What God is here won't take us there, but God will. And so I can say, I'm not enough, but you're enough. I'm not enough, but you're enough. I'm not enough, God, but you are enough. It's true of salvation. That's the gospel. Set the, the sinner's prayer. I remember hearing, I don't know if any of you grew up in traditions where there was a sinner's prayer when you gave your life to Christ. It was like, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Today, I'm trusting you. I'm thanking you for your death on the cross and your resurrection. I'm asking you to come into my life and be the boss of my life. As best I know how, today, I'm committing my life to you. I used to always fear that I was saying that wrong or when I would pray that with someone that I prayed that and they were going to go to hell and I was going to get to heaven and be like, wait, where did so-and-so go? Why are they here? I prayed with them. Listen, like God is not playing games with us. 
Lord, I am not enough, but you are enough. Prayed sincerely is enough of a prayer to save us. God, I am not enough, but you are enough is enough. It's true of individuals and leaders. Where do you need help? Where do you need more trust? Where do you need uh, adaptation to orienting your life around Jesus? And it's true of churches. It's true of our church. People don't change until the pain of change is less than the pain of staying the same. Ourselves are not reliable. The world in front of us is not like the world behind us. So we need to trust him. Lean not on ourselves. Acknowledge him in everything and know that he is going to make our path straight. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you for your death. We thank you that you receive us as little brothers and little sisters into your family, that you've forgiven every sin we committed past, present, and future, and that you smile with delight at us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that Jesus didn't save us and sort of just say, peace out, I'll be in heaven, see you when you get there. Like Spirit, you come and live in us if we are Christ followers, and you guide us and you empower us. So help us to trust in you and not lean on ourselves and what we know and to acknowledge you in everything. And God, I pray that we will sense you making our path straight. God, help us to lead at the place of influence as you would have us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.